The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V and pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Tom. Tonight we will continue to tackle some of our viewer questions that we received via the email address and also the Facebook group. And our first question tonight, Father, comes from a viewer who writes in and says, I recently heard a traditional Catholic in arguing arguing against abortion say that though the church forbids contraception for them personally, they would totally support contraception for non-Catholics in order to prevent abortions. This seems wrong to me on multiple levels, but I couldn't uh, seem to articulate exactly why. Could you possibly talk about why promotion of contraception to prevent abortions is a faulty idea? Well, in the first place, um, the contraceptive pill, the birth control pill, so-called, uh, can function as an abortifacient. Mm -hmm. It can cause abortions. Um, sometimes people have the mistaken notion that uh, the birth control pill prevents conception. <clears throat> and it does, it can, but um, the birth control pills themselves uh, are effective much of the time, most of the time, but not all of the time. In fact, uh, some manufacturers will put in their literature that you know it's ninety will boast ninety seven percent effective, mm -hmm. ninety five percent effective, whatever. <clears throat> and one has to ask, well, what happens to the rest of the percents? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. does that mean if, if a birth control pill is touted as ninety seven percent effective, what happens to the other three percent of the time? And obviously, I mean, it depends on the woman who's taking it and her metabolism uh, as to, you know, how it affects her personally. But the fact is that there are doctors, uh, honest doctors, who will admit that the birth control pill does not uh, prevent absolutely the conception of a child, but there is a fail-safe um, mechanism, if you want, within the birth control pill, uh, the chemical makeup, that it can prevent the implantation of a child that is conceived. And so there may well be women out there who are using the birth control pill thinking that they are avoiding uh, problem pregnancies. <clears throat> they may think that they are uh, avoiding uh, even, even the possibility of abortion, which they might never do. They might say, oh, I would never abort a child, <clears throat> and so I'm, I'm taking the birth control pill as an alternative. And they might actually be conceiving and aborting children. Um, who knows? You know? uh, if that 3% or that 5% that it is considered not effective yields a pregnancy uh, that is terminated by abortion, uh, so the child cannot unite with the body of the mother and live, then such people might be aborting more than one child a year and not even be aware of it. So um, there is literature on the, on the subject. Um, many doctors will not 
level with their patients uh, on this subject is what I've been told uh, because they, they don't want to dissuade them from using the birth control pill by giving the, uh, the fact that the birth control pill can fail. Mm -hmm. And um, so they keep up the facade that there's nothing to worry about, just pat them on the head and send them on their way. But as I say, there is literature on the subject and there are doctors who will tell them, yes, the birth control pill can fail and they can conceive and the child will be aborted mm. um, because implantation is prevented. Right. Uh, so that's one, I think, important uh, aspect of the question that people should know. You know? And um, if, they're, if they ask their, their doctors, if women ask their doctors, about this question, the doctor says, oh, who told you that? Don't pay any attention to that. That, that. That's nonsense. I would suggest that the women do not stop there, but that they look for, um, well, I mean, there are various um, conservative um, uh, Catholic doctors who will, if they don't know, will find out and will report the truth. Uh, the Lineker Quarterly uh, out of Britain is a publication of the Catholic Physicians Guild. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> the Lineker Quarterly actually is named after uh, Thomas Lineker, who was the physician um, back in the early 1500s. He died in the, in the early 1500s. If he'd lived a little longer, he probably would have been one of those valiant souls who died as a martyr under Henry VIII with Thomas More. Thomas More was one of his students. One of Lineker's students. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, but I, I believe there are truth-telling conservative physicians in the Catholic Catholic Physicians Guild who will uh, let women know uh, about the truth about the the, uh, the birth control pill and how it actually can um, result in abortions happening rather than preventing them. So, uh, but in any case, the whole, the whole idea of saying, well, let's, uh, I, I guess what that person is saying, uh, and I'm trying to, get, to guess what the person is saying, because I'm not sure what the line of thinking is, <clears throat> of those who would say, well, let's promote the birth control pill among Protestants because it's a good alternative to abortion. I'm saying it's not. Mm -hmm. But I would say also there's another problem with that, and that is the birth control pill actually promotes the idea that, that marital relations um, <clears throat> really are primarily, if not exclusively, for the sake of uh, people's enjoyment and not about giving life. Okay. And insofar as we have people who are reaching for the birth control pill <clears throat> uh, because they say, well, I, I wouldn't uh, like an abortion, I wouldn't want to have an abortion, or I would not, period, I would not have an abortion if I, if I conceived a child. Nonetheless, they're starting with the premise, but the marital relations we're having really is not primarily about giving life because we're going to stop that. We're going to thwart that. <clears throat> but it's primarily now, because we're using the birth control pill, we're saying that it's, it, now it's exclusively about our enjoying um, having marital relations with each other. This act, which should be a life-giving act in itself, we're render, rendering um, <clears throat> impotent to produce life, and we're making it entirely about our enjoying time together. This is the root of, of all these evils we see. I mean, the homosexuals basically start with the same principle. They say, 
<clears throat> look, this is not a life-giving act. Um, this is about our having fun and enjoying life together. And um, obviously having children is an impediment to our enjoying our lives. Um, children uh, demand a lot of time, energy, attention, money, <clears throat> all of these things that we should be doing and spending on and with each other, we're diverting to the children. So we, we have to uh, divert these things back to our own mutual enjoyment of life together and not be lavishing them on, on children. <clears throat> and so what they'll do is they'll say, we have to use the birth control pill to avoid bringing more children into the world, which are devouring our time and our money and our attention and all the rest. Mm -hmm. And we have to turn this back to our, ourselves to enjoy life. But also as a part of that enjoyment of life, we still have to have relations, right? <clears throat> So what we're saying is we have to have relations because it's part of our enjoyment of life, but we can't have children. Mm -hmm. So they reach for the birth control pill because mm -hmm. that enables us to have both. Mm -hmm. This feeds the whole hor horrendous idea that uh, we can make sexual relations all about our own personal enjoyment, our personal pleasure, and that every perversion starts with that premise. You don't want to do anything that is going to see, going to encourage that way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And it seems, Father, that the the line of thinking behind this this question could be the idea of choosing the lesser of two evils. And I've heard this this line of thinking preached before, but it doesn't exactly apply because contraception is in and of itself intrinsically always and everywhere immoral. Is that correct? Right. It, it is, and one has to remember. If you're choosing the lesser of two evils, you're not really choosing the lesser evil. Right. Um, you're not really choosing an evil, uh, an evil at all. What you're trying to, you're trying to avert right. an evil. Mm -hmm. And um, but you say this is intrinsically evil, <clears throat> and rather than averting evil, you're saying, um, well, let's promote this. Let's promote this evil mm -hmm. <clears throat> deliberately, willfully as an alternative to the other evil. When you're choosing lesser of two, you're not choosing evils at all, right? You're just steering away from a greater evil and hoping to avoid, hoping to avoid any evil at all, even if it seems inevitable, some collateral damage will happen, but you cannot will an evil. Uh, in this case, e even at that, um, um, you're actually promoting abortion in a different way, though, mm -hmm. and masking the evil, mm -hmm. uh, the very evil that people are... Tr but he says he's trying to avoid, he's actually promoting by right. promoting the birth control pill. Right, right. It's the exact same line of thinking behind both of them, like you said, the yeah. turning the, the marital relation, that, those act, that act. And in using the birth control pill, Abortions are happening. Right, exactly. Too. exactly. So you're really not avoiding them, quite the contrary. Now, the only real solution is to tell people look, this is either your whole way of thinking is evil. Because if you take your way of thinking to its logical conclusions, you can justify abortion. Mm -hmm. If you say, well, our relations are about our personal enjoyment, and that's what it's all, really all about, mm -hmm. because, and take, thus take the pill. Well, that's what the abortionists are saying. Hey, look, this is really about our enjoyment. This child is getting in the way of our enjoyment. The purpose of this is our 
amusement and our satisfaction. And so how can you argue with the fact that this child is an aggressor impeding our, our enjoyment of life? And that's the point. If that were the point, then they'd be right, in a sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, the same with, uh, as I say, the homosexual is saying that this is the point, our enjoyment. And no, we don't have to worry about conceiving children and having them get in the way of this. But this, this justifies our homosexuality because the point of these things is our enjoyment. And we, this is what we enjoy, and therefore it must be right. Because mm -hmm. that's the whole purpose. You know, <clears throat> there was a, a woman uh, named uh, Mary, what was her name? Mary Jo Williams, Mary, uh, Mary Ann Williams. Anyway, she, she wrote an article for Salon Magazine some years ago. Okay. And she's a feminist. Okay. And her point was this, okay? We feminist women have to stop embarrassing ourselves by arguing that the unborn child is just a fetus okay. and that it's not a child. We have to admit that it's a child. We're making, in a sense, fools of ourselves <clears throat> by going through all these contortions to try to say it's not a child, it's not a child. Look, it is a child. Everybody knows it's a child. Stop pretending. Uh, stop dissimulating. Stop embarrassing yourself by denying an obvious fact. So we, we should just admit the fact that it's a child, whether pro-choice or pro-abortion, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> we have to say that that is a child, but that child's life is not worth my life. My life is more important than that child's life. And therefore, I am going to terminate that child's life because my life trumps that child's life. That's what we should be telling people. Mm -hmm. And you know, you think, what a monster. What a monster, right? Sounds like I, Hitler. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, uh, yeah, that's actually being kind. Um, but essentially what she's, what she, she's saying is, again, in a, in a very brutal way, brutally honest way, <clears throat> that this child is an obstacle in my living my life the way I want to live my life. And uh, this includes my own sexual activity. This child is an, an unwanted and unwarranted byproduct uh, who really has nothing essential to do with my sexual activity because it's about me and my life and my enjoyment of life. And that child has to die. Um, if that child is going to be an impediment on my living my life, because my life and my enjoyment of my life is more important than the child's life. Mm -hmm. Essentially, that's, what, that's exactly what she's saying. That's exactly what the homosexuals are saying in principle. It's exactly what the married couples who are saying are saying when they use artificial birth control. They're all saying essentially the same thing. Mm -hmm that uh, this is about my enjoyment of life, and anything that gets in my way is going to be destroyed. Um, and uh, I'm not going to stand for it. So, anyway, uh, the, the, the whole thinking is off base. The only real solution is to make people understand that their activity, uh, sexual activity, is about giving life. God has said so. And this is the big struggle today. This is why people who hate the Catholic Church hate the Catholic Church, really, because the Catholic Church has really stood for that uh, alone. In all of this time, the Catholic Church has stood bravely, even unto martyrdom, uh, 
saying, no, this is not about your personal enjoyment. That's not the, 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 the primary essential purpose of male and female and, uh, and the union of them. Um, the, the primary essential purpose is giving life. And nothing, nothing can warrant um, um, deviating from that. And once you do, then you have just licensed every single perversion imaginable, and some of them perhaps unimaginable. <laughs> right. <clears throat> I, uh, I, I recently read, read a quote from an old Spanish priest who said uh, something along the lines of, if, if men were absolutely logical in all of their thinking, they would become either angels or devils. Right. And that, that seems to apply here. But I, I'd, like to, I'd like to move on, Father, um, to another question that we received from a viewer uh, in regards to tattoos. Uh, she says that, that, that she has seen uh, posts about this floating around the internet and would like to know, does the tattoo image determine if it is sinful or is uh, tattoo or are tattoos in general sinful? Uh, would a tattoo of a religious image be, be sinful? Um, and then the, this discussion that she was having also turned to whether having your son circumcised was a sin because that was a Jewish custom, not Catholic. She writes, I think people are very confused on these subjects. Hmm, so how was, how was your Actually, just the other day, I received a text message from uh, a dear person mm -hmm. um, on that very subject. Okay. <coughs> Got a tattoo of a cross. Okay. And, um, well, the Catholic Church has regarded uh, tattooing as a, uh, along the lines of mutilation of the body, right? Okay. But, I mean, there, there are... There are reasons why one could do that, you know. Some would consider it to be an enhancement of the body, not a, a, uh, a mutilation of the body. And, and those who get the tattoo, I'll, I'm sure they all consider it to be an enhancement, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I've seen people who have tattooed roses on their ankles and tattooed crosses on their arms and, and you know, mom, you know, and Tate Sailors with the anchor like Popeye and all the rest. And, um, oh, there, there's an argument, a uh, theological argument, that, that it is wrong to do that to the body. Uh, I would have to say, personally, I, I don't see that necessarily as a form of mutilation. So I, I think, I mean, there are things you can do to the body, like remove organs and so mm -hmm. on, that uh, would certainly be a mutilation of the body, that about it. Um, but to do something which some might consider to be artistic and, and a, uh, sad to say, an art form, um, I don't know that you can argue that one would necessarily be committing a mortal sin by getting a tattoo of a rose on your ankle. I, you know, yeah. if one were to say, is this mortally sinful? I, I would have a hard time, personally, arguing that from the standpoint of Catholic morality. What about a religious symbol? Uh, getting a religious symbol for the sake of piety, because uh, there are people who have you know, a cross put on as, as a sake of piety, almost saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm branding myself <clears throat> with this mark as, as a testimony of my faith, okay? <clears throat> and uh, I'm not just wearing a religious symbol, I'm actually, uh, it's incorporated into my skin to show that I'm, I'm serious about this, this is who I am. Maybe, you know, they have this idea. I, I, again, I, I couldn't be arguing that that's necessarily sinful to do that. I can't. Maybe there's somebody else who, who could bring forth real, solid, <clears throat> moral, theological authority to say, yes, any such thing, uh, uh, any tattoo, any symbol, no matter how pious or religious it may be in itself, 
would be sinful, possibly even more sinful. Mortally sinful. I haven't seen that myself. So if it's ignorance, then I, I have to plead ignorance there. Okay. But I, I don't think that uh, having a, a cross tattooed on one's arm is necessarily mortally sinful. I would have a hard time even arguing whether it would be linearly sinful. Okay. So, what, about, what about the... Uh, but something that is obviously uh, an evil symbol, right. well, that would be manifestly right. wrong to tattoo oneself with that. Sure. Not necessarily because if it's evil in itself, even to wear it would be wrong. Mm -hmm. It would be just even aggravate the evil by having it tattooed on, on one's body, mm -hmm. I think. So that would, I think, make it worse, intensify yeah. the evil. Um, you know, even if one had uh, the name mom, you know, as a, like, I love my mom, you know, a <laughs> statement. Well, there's nothing wrong with that statement, you yeah. know. So I think one could justify it. I am personally against the whole idea of tattooing because I consider it to be a pagan art form, okay? And um, I, I think it does violence to the body and I think it's very unhealthy. And I also think that people who get out tattoos eventually are going to regret them, you know, unless they've totally lost their minds, right? Uh, and we see people who are tattooed, you know, they're completely tattooed, right? right. And I think it gets to the point where it really is a mutilation, where it makes okay. them look freakish. Definitely. And sometimes people who do that want to look freakish. Right. They're proud of it. They boast of it. They, they revel in the idea of, of getting some more piercing or some other tattoo. If they can find a, a, a cubic centimeter of skin that hasn't been tattooed yet, and of course, in the course of it all, it all just sags away mm -hmm. into you know they get the, sh the tattoo of a ship on the arm and eventually it'll be a shipwreck, <laughs> you know, and they, that's what they wind up with, yeah. and um, so. You know, I, I think all of this is doomed to failure, embarrassment, and regret. Okay. Yeah. And there are people who specialize in removing or trying to remove mm -hmm. tattoos, and they can't even be very wholly successful at that, unless they were to flay someone alive and, and start off, you know, with with um, doing uh, skin grafts, mm -hmm. starting over again. Um, it's just such a bad idea, right. you know. So, I mean, I would say even with the even getting a, a tattoo of uh, some pious symbol like the cross. Um, you know, uh, even if one had the miraculous metal tattooed on his arm or something, and say, "Well, you, you might be committing a sin of imprudence there." Um, you know, you can be moved by piety to do that, but I still think it's a really bad idea. I couldn't tell them that I think it's a sin and the principles of Catholic morality to to get that done. Though. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I don't know how good an answer or how bad an answer that is, but that's pretty much all I can really say sure, right now. Sure, fair enough. What about this? What, what do you think, Tom? What do I think? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know tattooed people. You probably uh, <laughs> I do. have friends who are tattooed. It's hard not to know tattooed people. They yeah. seem to be everywhere yeah. nowadays, right. and it seems like it's that, uh, that idea. Kind of like you said, people want to be as freakish as they can possibly be. It's like a, yeah. a contest where everyone tries to stand out and be as freakish as Do you as know people, though, who... Uh, have a tattoo out of piety as an expression sure. of faith? Yeah. You, know, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you think it's genuine piety on their part? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I do. I do. And so if they asked you? Uh, I think I would agree with you. I would discourage oh, yeah. it. I wouldn't necessarily 
in my opinion, it doesn't seem like a, a sin to, to get a, a, a pious image tattooed, mm-hmm. but just the whole idea, kind of like you said, seems like a, a pagan art form. So <clears> very, what about uh, the spending of the money? How much does this cost? It's rather expensive from what I understand. To get a tattoo. So, I mean, even from the standpoint of squandering money, Sure. That should be spent on other things, like mm-hmm. parents who have children, yeah. and um, right. It could be um, could be imprudent even to spend the money sure. on that, right? Yeah. That's uh, a good point. So I don't know. There there are a lot of aspects mm-hmm. involved to it that uh, could go wrong, even with the best of intentions. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair yeah. enough. What about this this uh, somewhat related question of of circumcision? What are the, what are the oh, I see. Well, that? you know, God commanded that. Mm-hmm. That was a direct command from God. Most that was a sign of the chosen people, right? right. And uh, often the the commands that were given to the the, the, the chosen people of old have some connection with protecting them from some problem with mm-hmm. health, for example. Yeah. I mean, the prohibition against eating the flesh of. Uh, of uh, you know split hooved animals yeah. like swine you know we know of uh, health issues that can arrive arise from you know uh, eating uh, improperly prepared swine flesh pigs right? mm-hmm. you think of trichinosis and other issues that come up from raising the pigs the unsanitariness of it all. And certainly back in those days, it would have been even more of an issue, right, than it is now. And it could have been a very, very serious health hazard for them. So maybe these prohibitions were not only symbolic insofar as the rejection of the cloven-hoofed animals as food, had something to do with the idea of Satan and the the, the goat and the... Mm -hmm. The obstinacy, uh, our Lord chooses saying the goats, you know, are set aside because of their self, their willfulness, right? The lambs, because they follow the shepherd, are used as symbols, right? Of the human soul, even in the, the virtues and vices of the human soul, who would be saved and who would be lost, you know? So maybe the cloven-hoofed animals also were rejected because they represented some kind of a health hazard. Mm-hmm. The people back then... Uh, but a, a special, especially serious health standard that God was trying to shield the people from. And the idea of circumcision, too. You know, <clears throat> whether uh, it would be interesting to see um, how this factors into fertility uh, uh, and, and, and actually giving life and, and promoting the population and avoiding health, health issues. You know, it would be interesting to see what health benefits that would accrue from the practice of circumcision. One could, could possibly see there that God would have, in his wisdom, a way of protecting the people and even promoting uh, the, the, um, the population of, the, uh, of the, his chosen people, of the Old Testament. So, um, but since God, who is the creator of the human body in the fashion of the human body, gave a direct order to Moses, this is what I want you to do, as a sign of your being a member of this people, descendant of Abraham, right? And therefore, that of your the bloodline from Abraham, the Messiah will be born of you. And he himself would also be subject to circumcision, was circumcised, probably by Joseph, St. Joseph himself, <clears throat> possibly even in the, in the stable. 
and given his name as Savior at that time. And this operation was the shedding, the first shedding of the blood of Christ, which means the first shedding of the blood of God on earth took place at this time. Uh, we cannot say that this would be mere mutilation of the body. I mean, God has the right to command this, and God did command this. <clears throat> and even his own divine son made man underwent that operation for a very important reason. And it's considered symbolic of his future sacrifice and sacrificial death on the cross. <clears throat> even beyond this, though, I mean, without getting into too much detail, you have to remember that the pagan peoples worshipped devils. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important ways that they worshipped these devils was to offer them their children in sacrifice, but also their sins of impurity, mm -hmm. really perverse impurity. Uh, the symbols that they erected were symbols of, I won't say it here, but symbols of male uh, dominion, and pride and arrogance and so on. And um, that God gave this particular practice to Abraham and his offspring as a way of humbling that. You know, do you know what I mean? A way of humbling that. And um, the arrogance of that. Um, as though, you know, we give life and we are the life-giving power and... You know, God, you know, this is how we worship our false gods by, that's how they would humble their, by, by actually paying tribute to their demon gods this way. But the true God gave this to Abraham as a kind of an answer to that arrogance, saying to humble that power, that masculinity, that maleness. And uh, so it actually played a very important role, honestly, you know, in the development of the, of history, even and, you know, and, and, and as I say, even our Lord's life, His fresh blood was shed this way. So you you couldn't simply dismiss it as a form of uh, mutilation. Okay, God it never was mandated by God that this be done. He never commanded that that the practice should be stopped. Uh, no, no one could argue and say, well, that's not required now. That's not required now, religiously, because that was the Old Testament. This being the New Testament. There are definitely things, ritual things, that we do not have to do. The modern church is, is, loves to promote Seder Passover meals among the people, but that's a celebration of God's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt, but is also, with the Paschal Lamb, supposed to be a profession of faith in the coming Savior. It's totally out of place for, for anybody who calls themselves a Christian to practice that. Mm -hmm. Because he's essentially saying, we don't believe the Savior come, we're still looking, looking for him to come. Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, this, is, this, is an, this is outrageous for a Christian to say that. Saying, we're looking for another Savior now by practicing this Passover meal. Right. Um, so th there are certain things that we really should not be doing in, from the Old Testament. And the apostles definitely left these things behind. Um, and didn't want them practiced. The Judaizers, the early Christians who came from Judaism, were the ones who insisted, were insisting that these practices be kept, including circumcision, by the way. Okay. Even St. Paul succumbed to that when he was going to uh, raise a young man who had been raised in paganism and become a Christian, was going to make him a bishop. 
he knew that the Jewish converts, many of them, would not accept him unless they, he were circumcised. So St. Paul did this for the sake of souls. Mm -hmm. uh, but he wasn't saying that this was necessary now to do. Now, Christians often do, do still practice that uh, circumcision medically. They, they don't have to. You know, someone, a male who is not circumcised, get baptized, and he's fully a member of the Catholic Church, you know. But, um, but often this is practiced in those, as a medical procedure rather than as a religious mm -hmm. procedure. And so it is with Catholics who have uh, male children circumcised. They're not doing this as a religious procedure. They're not doing this as a religious ceremony with any religious significance. They're doing it because they see there are certain medical benefits to it. Okay. And, uh, you know, so... Um, Again, either if, if, it, if it is a religious procedure mandated by God, as it was in the Old Testament, if it is a medical procedure with, with, with actual notable medical benefits, it can be perfectly justified not as a form of mutilation. No. Okay. That's interesting. So. Yeah. Well, Father, I'd like to move on to another question here, and this uh, is in regards to the recent program that we did on the Society of St. Pius X and, uh, and the Resistance. So one of our viewers writes in and says, Dear Father, in one of your recent videos, there was some discussion on the resistance group who are against the Society of St. Pius X getting comfortable with Rome. Uh, Bishop Williamson, being the chief leader of this resistance, has been labeled all, so all sorts of names from defector to Holocaust denier to even an outright fruit loop by some in traditionalist circles. So, uh, Father, I would like to hear your insight and opinion regarding Bishop Williamson, his position of the last few years, and whether he is genuinely trying to be faithful to Archbishop Lefebvre. Uh, in light of Bishop Fillet's attempts to negotiate with Rome, or is Bishop Williamson going off on some other tangent? Uh, you know, I'd almost have to recuse myself from that question because I really don't know. I don't follow. I know he has a blog or a website. I, I don't follow. I don't follow it. Okay. Uh, it's not that I'm not interested. Um, I am interested in all things that impinge upon the traditional Catholic effort. Sure. Um, it's just that I just don't have the time to have this online. I mean, here we are. I mean, <laughs> right. This is this is about as much of an investment of time as I can make on this. Uh -huh. uh, but I, I don't follow a lot of the... Uh, I, I've seen Barahe Chaley and other things because I see that news items have come up that, that are really topical now, pressing to know now. But um, generally speaking, habitually, I don't follow. You know, okay. particular Mitchell Williamson's website or any of the kind, or the resistance if they have websites, I don't know. Um, I would just say this. I know that um, I'll call him Father Williamson or mm -hmm. Reverend Williamson. I'll, you know, I'd call him because uh, uh, that's how I knew him. You know, mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I haven't spoken to him in years and years and years. Right. The last I, I knew of him, he was. Uh, was before the Episcopal consecrations of 1988. Yep. Um, so I kind of default to that. <clears throat> okay. um, he was actually publishing at one point uh, a warning against the reunion with, or union with Rome. Right. Um, and he said that perhaps if, if the society of St. Pius X leadership goes that way and actually does 
um, enter into a formal union, religious union, so that they are now formally considered a part of that church and a part of that religion, which they had to acknowledge, you know, that they've joined a church uh, which has the Novus Ordo as its religion, right? Uh, that maybe that will show that the Society of St. Pius X was not chosen by God to, to lead the effort of traditional Catholics. Mm -hmm. He actually came out and put that in black and white in some ways. Okay. And I think that was part of uh, what's, what, what sealed his doom <laughs> with the Society of St. Pius X. I think they were, they were basically looking for um, a, a pretext to have him go away. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay. <clears throat> I mean, the interview uh, with this, what is it, Swedish television or German television, whatever it was, where he denied the Holocaust, but he didn't really deny the Holocaust. He just he adjusted the numbers down mm -hmm. far, you know. Still something worthy of condemnation, you know, the Nazis killed so many people. Yeah. We would say it was worthy of condemnation if the Nazis killed one Jewish person because it was a Jewish. We'd say that was absolutely can be condemned, mm -hmm. you know. <clears throat> so I don't, he wasn't denying the evil of that, but he was disputing the number. Okay, but you can't even do that now because it's politically incorrect. <laughs> so to latch upon that as the reason to say, okay, we've got to get rid of him and put him outside the society, if that was the issue that broke this, this, like the straw that broke the camel's back. But I think that already shows that there were already issues they were having with him. <clears throat> and he was already um, making some serious... Uh, protests against the the notion of uniting with modernist Rome. Now they might they might appeal to our Archbishop Lefebvre and they might say, well, Archbishop Lefebvre, you know, understood that <clears throat> you have to be in union with Rome no matter what you do. So we 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 have to always look for that. We can't close that avenue off, <clears throat> and we have to be hoping for that. I mean, I think they're interpreting Archbishop Lefebvre's words wrongly, though. Because back in the 1980s, even while he was in the middle of negotiations with Rome, he was still he was still talking about the distinction between modernist Rome and Catholic Rome, and his point was we are always in union with Catholic Rome mm -hmm. um, by what we do. I mean, this the, who we are. We are in union with Catholic Rome clearly because of our fidelity to Catholic tradition. The modernists can say what they want; they can't. Deny, they can't make that go away. They can't, they can't honestly deny the fact that we have always been in union with Catholic Rome, but we will not be in union with modernist Rome. Archbishop Lefebvre was very clear on that. We will not be in union with modernist Rome. And now it seems as though the Society of St. Pius X is determined to be in union with modernist Rome, but is actively seeking to be in union with modernist Rome, even at its most modernist, mm -hmm. with Francis. Yeah. I think Archbishop Lefebvre would be horrified at what's going on right now. And when you hear when you hear Bishop Fillet's attempts at explaining their position on this, it, it really sounds like double talk. I'm sorry, it sounds like evasive double talk, a smiley double talk. And I don't know that people are generally convinced. I don't know how many people of Saudi Sabbath. The tenth are convinced by what he's saying that this is the right way to go. I, I don't know. I know many are not. Mm -hmm. And they're really, really concerned about this, sure. and really, right, rightly so. But um, the um, I, I think I, I made an allusion recently, um, maybe here on the show, 
about the Society of St. Pius X being like the worm on the hook mm-hmm. and the fish, the modernist Novus Ordo church fish looking at the worm on the hook, you know, think, well, here's lunch. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody could say, oh, well, the Society of St. Pius X does perhaps serve as the worm on the hook, but God is the fisherman, and he's using the line and the hook and the worm to capture the modernists, and he's going to bring them home with him. But I don't think it's necessarily so. You, you know, you have what is called the anglerfish, <laughs> and the anglerfish is very interesting because very ugly, yeah. like modernism, you know. But it has this, this protrusion that goes out, and it has a joint here, and in fr- hanging in front of it, is bait, you know, but it's all part of the angler fish that's holding out in front looking for something to come close to looking for a bite, you know, and the angler fish actually is the one that's holding the rod and the reel at this point, you know, and the bait and is ready to pounce at whatever comes thinking it's going to get a meal. And I'm afraid that is what we're dealing with here, you know. Um, I do not think that uh, Bishop Fillet is the equal of Archbishop Lefebvre, but I know I'm not either, you know, not by far, by far. I don't know that any, I don't know anyone who is, you know, the equal of Archbishop Lefebvre. Um, uh, in, in so many ways, as, as an ecclesiastic. You know. But um, I don't think Bishop Fillet is any match for Francis. Mm-hmm. Or any one of these modernists, either, you know. Archbishop Lefebvre was. They were all overmatched by him, I think. But Bishop Fillet, no, I don't, I don't think they're, they're overmatched by him, quite the contrary. I think he could be easily overmatched by them. Mm-hmm. And when you see these interviews that he's giving with this person, that person, who are not even ecclesiastics, they're, they're lay people interviewing him, right. uh, he seems already overmatched. Like he's dancing around trying to explain something, and uh, sometimes it's, it's even embarrassing, you know. So uh, he doesn't, he's not representing the traditional Catholic position very well. If, if as I, I knew Archbishop Lefebvre, I was very blessed to have known Archbishop Lefebvre, and he's one of those people you feel sorry for anyone who didn't have an opportunity to know him, okay? But when I do see, occasionally, Bishop Fillet there being grilled by these interviewers, and I hear his soft pedal dancers. I can actually imagine, and there are many others I know who knew which, could imagine the Archbishop sitting there and answering those questions, and it would be a very different interview. <laughs> very different interview. And you'd come away from there thinking, he's right, you know. We cannot, we cannot compromise their faith mm-hmm. to get their approval. It's a travesty. And it would be a tragedy if they were to... Mm-hmm. Were to um, let this big, ugly anglerfish, you know, lure them in. Yeah. So they have to stand firm for the faith and let that be enough for them and not be seeking the approval of the modernists for the sake of getting inside modernism and saying, now we're going to show everybody this is the right way. This is, this is what everybody really wants, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. Everybody wants to be traditional, don't we all? What they're going to wind up is, is actually, at best, 
an era that is a mixture of Catholicism and modernism. That's what the Novus Ordo offers us as in the so-called indult mass and the summa cum, the summa, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the document of Benedict XVI, uh, Summorum Pontificum. Uh, this is a mixture of Catholic with modernist. Which okay? is modernism. And it's still modernism. It's just a watered-down Catholicism, and, but it's still modernism. You take any truth and mix it with error, and you don't get something uh, in the middle. Okay? If you were to mix truth with error, you could say you get terror. Right? And actually you do. Uh, but whatever you wind up with, it's not the truth. Right. So yeah. that's what they're going to do, and I hope and pray they, they don't mm -hmm. do this. Yeah, I, I like the, uh, the anglerfish analogy, Father. That, oh. that, that seems rather fitting. But, but speaking of, of modernist Rome, uh, the, the same viewer writes in with another question. I'm not, not sure if you'll be able to answer this one. But he writes in and says, Father, I recently watched the first four episodes of the HBO series The Young Pope out of general curiosity. Even though much of it is greatly flawed, it is entertaining, and it shows a supposedly conservative... 47-year-old pontiff uh, wreaking all-out war on the liberals and homosexuals within the Curia and the Vatican at large. The fictional pontiff, who takes the name Pius XIII, unlike Francis, does not want to make public appearances, does not care if people like him or not, and even insists that the papal tiara be repurchased and returned to his possession. Father, have you heard anything about this series or had a chance to watch any of it yourself? I haven't. Okay. Uh, the only the only thing that would induce me to watch this would be if, if people needed me to watch it because mm -hmm. they were all w wondering what should we make of this. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, I would say stay away from it. You know, no good can from, come from it. It might be entertaining, but there are a lot of things that are train wrecks can be entertaining. Sure. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and there are a lot of evil things that can be entertaining. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, so I would say away from this, if it's gaining one's sympathy, I would say it's dangerous. I, I've, I've read some reviews about it because I figured people would be asking. Uh, the reviews have not been good. Um, uh, perhaps this man is conservative in some ways, maybe politically conservative, but morally not. I mean, he may himself, I don't know, be morally dissolute. I mean, you can have people who are against homosexuality. Uh, you can have politicians who are going home to their wives and, and using birth control all the time. They can come out and condemn homosexuality. Right. Exactly. And even though they're both starting from the same start, st mm -hmm. the, the, the same vantage point, the same starting point, the principle, this is about my personal enjoyment. Yeah. It's just that I enjoy this and you enjoy that. Right? But as long as you're both enjoying it, that's the important thing. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is. Um, so, just because somebody's standing up and condemning one form of perversion doesn't mean he's not guilty of another form of perversion. Right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I would have to say in the end, again, I'm not qualified to speak about that, that uh, uh, show, except for the fact that what I do here, if it's accurate, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's bad. Uh, and they must be trying to get somebody on board who would agree with, agree with this much of it for the sake of maybe getting them to overlook other things mm -hmm. that are being done. And Father, I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly qualified to speak on this show either. I've, I've never seen an episode of it, but I have um, just recently in the news saw the headline of in this series, there is actually, uh, the, it was on the news they were talking of, there is a, a, a violent graphic, pornographic scene in one of these episodes okay. in here. 
and here. So I think yeah. that right there, it, it seems to go uh, directly against the, the oh, Pledge yeah. of the Legion of Decency, which, which everyone takes, uh, yeah. which all good Catholics should take, but it seems that, that so many don't, don't take it seriously. Sure. But this, this seems to be a common problem that applies to other uh, forms of, of entertainment where, where there's this, right. this, this blatantly, just terribly immodest, impure, just the most possibly mm-hmm. impure things you can imagine. Mm-hmm. But uh, it seems so many Catholics are willing to overlook them for all the whatever supposed yeah. good aspects may be in the show. And like you said, sure, it may be entertaining, mm-hmm. but correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it shouldn't matter if this is the greatest series ever produced. That one scene right there should write off that entire series. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's, a, it's bait. Look, some of the leading conservative websites have really gross immorality oh, sure. involved here. Yeah. And uh, even kind of promote it. You know, they say, well, gee, you know, homosexuality is wrong, but, <clears throat> you know, heterosexuality is great, so we're going to, you know, have all this uh, impure, immodest right. stuff that is heterosexual, not homosexual, and see, we're promoting something that is as self as good. No, they're not. They're promoting something, again, that is very evil. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, something that is going to do an enormous amount of ja- damage. And again, promotes the idea that it's all about my enjoying this. And um, so later on, you may say, well, you know, this was against homosexuality. It's all about this for heterosexuality and had all this, this uh, immodesty and pornography and all this. But it's all for it was all heterosexual. <clears throat> and then the homosexual comes along and says, yeah, I, I agree with all that. Because that's what you enjoy, that's the principle, and I, I agree with that principle. It's just that I enjoy this rather than that. Mm-hmm. And Father, just just from the head, just from the quick headline that I read, this wasn't even a heterosexual scene. It was even worse than that. Oh, so okay. Well, I, I mean, uh, you know, Tom, you're right. The devil will use a hook and he'll dress it up. But remember, the danger, the devil can appear as an angel of light. Mm-hmm. Okay, the devil can appear as an angel of light, and then the history has record of that. He appears as your best friend, having only your best interests at, at heart, and he appeals to you. He appeals to that in you that draws you to him. So he'll appear as a great conservative um, who stands for all the conservative causes. And the devil could be the greatest conservative who ever lived, as long as he, he, he could get you to hell, mm-hmm. as long as he could induce you to sin. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, if you think of any number of examples about how he could do that, mm-hmm. induce you to uh, listen to his message, mm-hmm. and then stick in the poison. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what he's trying to do, I believe, in this case, mm-hmm. too. And Father, I think another uh, example of that would be, uh, not sure if you've heard of the, this recent uh, conservative that's kind of taken the conservative movement by storm, is this Milo. Oh, yeah, I've heard of this guy. Yeah. He, uh, it, it seems to be the same thing. He, he, he seems to be politically conservative. He has, um, he has some, some great uh, polemic skills. He's, he's very witty, uh, very quick thinker on, on his feet, and he'll do some some masterful take, take, takedowns of liberals, and it is it is very entertaining and it's very attractive. And I can see the conservatives saying, "Yeah, go get him exactly. by low. You're, you're speaking for me in this." Yeah. Exactly, and he's kind of taken the conservative movement by storm, and conservatives mm-hmm. all across. He's from he's from uh, England, I believe. But uh, but recently he unva- he did something. He said something that revealed about himself something horrific, right? Right. Yeah. He. It's it's 
it's nothing that that was hidden really oh, really? everyone was that, already everyone they cared to know already knew that it that it was there so but, sexual right right exactly but but it, his his were, were some comments that were um that were uh promoting or, or endorsing pedophilia something mm. along along those lines which his, his whole life has been one 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 giant mm. example of this but it, it seems rather ironic that that he's this uh this supposedly politically conservative uh great entertainer who who constantly rails against the the homosexual agenda the, this liberal agenda and all this but in the end he seems to be the ultimate triumph of the liberal uh, homosexual agenda, yeah. which is to normalize homosexualism, and that seems right. to be exactly what we're doing. We're completely overlooking the fact that he is uh, proudly partaking of one of the four sins of cry to heaven for vengeance, yeah. and we're just completely writing that off. See, there's a greater danger in that. There's a greater danger in that than there is in somebody who is a, a blatant liberal exactly. and who, who uh, conservatives recognize this person is wrong, has all the wrong ideas. You know, I have nothing to do with his way of thinking because mm. it's all wrong. Right. But how you can dress it up, you know, right. to make it look, well, we can excuse it in him. Mm-hmm. You know, we're looking in him. Now, maybe that he's come out and said this explicitly, but maybe there are enough conservatives who still have their wits about them to realign their consciences about them and say, oh, man, this is wrong. You know, i got to draw the line here. I doubt it. Really? I do. He was, he yeah. was actually invited to the... Uh, <clears throat> To the uh, the CPAC conservative conference, and after the, this tape service, they did disinvite him from there, and his book his book deal was, was dropped. Uh, but still, it seems that he, he's going to be a powerful. Still, so he's like the darling of the conservative. Some conservative ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're they're promoting exactly him mm-hmm. him as a brand, right? And as, many, and as a homosexual. Team. And many conservatives are even trying to defend him now and saying, "Well, look the left. Look at all the the terrible, despicable things that that the mm. political left has done. Look at all the figures that they have who promoted uh, something similar to that." And so now it seems kind of hypocritical that we're trying to take down Milo mm. over this. And so it seems that they're playing right into their hands. It, it's and the same old, same old game. The ultimate triumph. And some but. just keep falling right in. I mean, I, you know, I, I talked about Bishop Fillet and the Pius X group falling in, mm-hmm. into line with. You know, it's, it's it's like playing the same old game. They know how to play their hand. Exactly. To induce people to uh, overlook mm-hmm. what they should not, you mm-hmm. know, and to just to justify or at least uh, minimize the evil. Because I think there's something to be gained by some other aspect of it. It's it's a dirty game. It's a diabolical game, yeah. and uh, this is, in a sense, Tom. This is why we are the way we are, where we are right now. This is why the world has come this far. This is why our country's come this far. This is why our church has come this far. Because people were willing to overlook, and to go along, you know, um, and so little by little, step by step, here we are. Mm-hmm. It's it's not right. We have to we have to stand up and say well there are things that we uh, in no way are going to compromise. We're going to continue uh, speaking the truth uh, regardless. This is how the Catholic Church was, you know. I mean, even during the time of Henry VIII, when Henry VIII was demanding the annulment of his marriage to Catherine of Aragon, after having sought the papal dispensation to 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 effect it in the first place. Then arguing, well, no, it was a terrible thing in the eyes of God. I've got to drop this. Then he's then he's pushing. He has a time frame here because the story is that Anne Boleyn was already bearing his child while he while Henry was still married to Anne, 
uh, to um, sorry, Catherine of Aragon. <clears throat> the child they, they hoped would be a boy, and they wanted to make sure he was going to be the legitimate heir, so they wanted to get him dissolved, his marriage to Catherine dissolved, and get him married to, to Anne so that when the child was born, that would be recognized as the legitimate heir. And, uh, you know, the church during this time was afraid of the consequences, you know, and so they're kind of temporizing and granting this, you know, holding off, thinking, well, things can change, Henry could die, anything could change. Ultimately, there was no, the church had to pronounce, the church had to pronounce the truth. This is wrong. You cannot dissolve your marriage or pretend that it's dissolved to Catherine. And the consequences were, were terrible indeed. And you can see why even, even uh, Renaissance popes would temper, you know, could only temporize so long before they had to pronounce the truth. Mm-hmm. But they did. But they did finally, when it came right down to it, and the very authority of the church itself was involved and was at stake, they pronounced the truth even though everything humanly in them was against it, by the grace of God, they just had to say, this is right and this is wrong. And we see this in the history of the church over and over again. It's kind of curious. I, I uh, was just uh, uh, spending some time with one of the <clears throat> parishioners um, of another part of the country. We were on a, on a mission to take care of some stations of the cross. But anyway, let's do here to there. <clears throat> and this fellow was telling me that he and his wife had been listening to, of all people, Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> and he said he couldn't believe Rush Limbaugh was saying the things he was saying. This would have been in the previous two weeks. <clears throat> he, he, he said, and I didn't hear the broadcast, uh, I, I didn't hear Limbaugh say these words, but this man says he heard it and his wife is a witness because they were both looking at each other like, we can't be hearing this. That Limbo was saying on his broadcast, which supposedly reaches like maybe 18 million people, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that the, the real moral force in the history of the world uh, is the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. This is what I heard from this man. That the Catholic Church has stood for what is right through all of this, when everything else and everybody else was giving way. The Catholic Church stood for what was right in principle. He didn't say in practice that, you know, everybody, the clergy and all the rest, but in principle, they were standing for the right principles. And sexual morality, this is a man who's married, married, quote unquote, three times, or had three different women here. And the church herself saying, would be saying, no, you're not. You know, these, you're married to one woman and the other two are are fictitious and you're living in adultery. But here's this man who would be judged by the church's principles this way, saying that the Catholic Church has held the right principles all this time and has paid a, a great price for her fidelity to these principles. But then supposedly Francis said, or, I mean, sorry, Limbaugh, Fresh Limbaugh said, and look who they've got now in charge of the Vatican. And how long can they hold out with all of this, you know, Francis saying the things he's saying, and, um, you know, now they're next, is, is to say they're next, they're going to fall next, you know. And that's going to be like the end. <laughs> you know? This is what I was told Limbo was saying. I'd like to get a transcript of what he'd said. Um, I guess you can go back in the archives and, and come up with that. I'll do that for you. That, um, I know that that's not the first time he said that. He has oh, spoken, that he's spoken in favor of the church before. It really, it really makes you wonder if there was a, a more visible authority, a more uh, visible um, 
a real Catholic leader, right. a real exactly. Catholic leader, really, pope who was acting like a pope, speaking like a pope, yeah. and being a pope. It really makes you wonder what kind of influence that would have on, on him um, and, and other people like him, and, and people like him throughout the world. Right. They're just looking for leadership. They're mm-hmm. looking for the voice of the shepherd, and they're not hearing it. Exactly. What they're hearing is not the voice of the shepherd. That's for sure. Right. Not not the true shepherd, the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know what Limbaugh doesn't understand, of course, is that Francis is there. Yes, you know. And, he was thinking about how long can the church hold out and, you know, is it next to fall? Well, we know that the church is immortal. It can't fall. Francis or no Francis, you know, we know. We know how it goes. We know how it all ends up. Uh, with the triumph of Christ, ultimately, and the church triumphant, too. You know, that God has the power to raise the dead to life. Christ himself, I mean, raising him, you know, coming back to life again. The divine power within him, raising himself humanly back to life again. We know the power of God and is in the church. Francis, a million Francis's couldn't change that. But he, from his worldly point of view, he doesn't, he doesn't, wouldn't see that. We do. Uh, if there are a way to enable him to understand that, that, that what he's witnessed is true of the church in the past is still true. Mm-hmm. And that divine power is still there and can overcome even... A, a, an out-and-out, dyed-in-the-wool modernist like Francis, uh, that even the Antichrist is not going to be able to destroy the church. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, you, you might actually uh, make him begin to think in terms of uh, Catholicism as being not only an answer, but as, a, as the answer to all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you say, you know, we had, a, we had a, a pope like St. Pius X, sure. uh, Right now, boy, there are so many souls out there who are just looking for that mm-hmm. solid voice right now. Yeah. So the lines, the battle lines are being drawn, um, and you can see it. You can see it happening before your very eyes today. Uh, I think the election of Donald Trump as president here in the United States has helped to even define those battle lines even more. Although I, I don't think that Trump is. The, he's a lightning rod. That's what, <laughs> what he is. Uh, he's certainly not the great courageous leader, you know, that we've been praying for. But uh, I think even even the myth, more than the man, <clears throat> has had a lot to do with dividing mm-hmm. the uh, the peoples of the world. So ultimately, I mean. Uh, we know that God is going to provide that Catholic leadership again. That's what we're praying for. And we know Our Lady's Immaculate Heart will triumph in the end. And that probably brings us, since you close your folder, to <laughs> your final message here and, for this episode. Yeah, that, that seems like a, a beautiful note to end on, Father. But uh, in, in closing, I'd just like to, to say that I noticed uh, a comment from one of our viewers who, um, who was essentially complaining about how it seems that there's there's so many problems with every branch of Catholicism, every society, no matter if it's traditional or, or, or whatever it may be, there seems to be problems with all of these. And so the, 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 the question, the real question that he posed here was, are we all doomed? And it seems that you just, it seems that, that you just kind of answered this question of where we're in these times now where it seems that, that the church is actually mirroring the life of Christ, where he went through a passion uh, in his, his death on the cross. And after his death on the cross, no one knew how he was going to resurrect himself. This was something completely incomprehensible. And it seems that we're in that stage now where 
we can't foresee the future. We don't know how Christ is going to resurrect his church. But like you said, we know that he is going to. He will. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if our human intellects can't figure that out. We have, you know, by faith that Christ will do Our faith can't waver. Can't waver one bit. Mm -hmm. You know, our faith has to be like the faith of the Blessed Mother. Mm -hmm. Through all of that, right? The passion and death and... uh, when our Lord's corpse was laid in her arms, it was so terribly disfigured, but she still recognized him, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, she knew, mm-hmm. you know, the outcome. So um, that's why we still keep Saturdays, as you know, in her honor, in honor of her faith, because during that Holy Saturday, she was the only one on the face of the earth that had, had faith. Everyone else had, had, had no faith, you know. Mm-hmm. Peter, James, John, the rest of them. Um, they, even after the resurrection happened, it took them a while for it to sink in. But sure. It was real. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the consequences of, of, of the fact that it was real, it took them a while to, to adjust to that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to take that in. But our Blessed Mother's faith never, wailed, or never wavered. Sure. And so that is uh, where our mainstay is right now in the example that she set of that absolute unwavering fidelity. That's where we have to be. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, with her immaculate heart yeah. yeah I think that's a perfect note to end on Father so I thank you thank you for being here tonight I, I think welcome. that was a very thank you, uh, thank yeah, you yeah. also I think that was a very stimulating program so thank you thank no, you for that very well. yeah. I'd also like to thank all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe until next time we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance thank you and God bless you <laughs>